So this week we will close up, uh, finish our series uh, that we uh, have been calling Rejected by Jesus. And we close it with a story of a man who loved Jesus dearly, was a good friend of Jesus's. His, his two sisters loved Jesus. He was very influential. And he had a great need of Jesus in a moment. I mean, it, there, and, and Jesus just said no. And in fact, he made a point to show that he was not going to jump at the moment that everybody thought that he should jump. It says he waits two more days. And then this man dies. Now, I don't know about you, but that may be one of the chief things of feeling rejected is when you've seen healing after healing after healing after healing, and you are one that is close with him, and they send word, Lazarus is, is deathly ill. You've got to get here now. And he's like, yeah, cool. Let's go back. Let's just hang out two more days, guys. Everybody's confused. But you know why? Because many times when we are rejected by Jesus, it's because we're wanting him to follow our script. And one thing Jesus is never going to do is follow our script. We don't get to write the script. We are players. We are a part of it. But he is the director. He is the writer. He is the producer. <laughs> he is in charge. And many times when it's somebody like Lazarus who was close to Jesus, when they're rejected, it's, it has nothing to do with their faithfulness. It has nothing to do with how good of a person they are or, or even the, the strength of their faith. It has to do with God is telling his own story. And he's going to do what brings him the most glory. He's going to do what is going to be of the greatest effect to his kingdom. And it's up to us to make peace with that because God is never going to apologize for us, nor is he even really going to explain to us many times why he does what he does. He owes us no explanation. And so look with me in John chapter 11, and we're going to look at the story of the raising of Lazarus. And we're going to start out just looking at verses 1 through 16. Chapter 11 says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. 
The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. And one of the things we all have to make peace with and figure out in the Christian life is that God's timing is about faith. It always will be. God's ways are not our ways. His timing is not our timing. His goals are not our goals. God is going to do what God is going to do. Now, God is good. God is holy. God is love. Everything God does is right and and will lead to to, to life and to glory for him and for his kingdom. But he's not going to operate according to how we think things should work. And his timing will always test our faith. Anybody in here attest to that? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to wait. Now, what does the scripture say? He who waits on the Lord shall renew their strength. The promise is there that, hey, it's coming. But when? Now, I know everybody in here at some point in a prayer life has probably uttered the words, when, when, Lord, when. And it's about that quiet. (laughs) Because we just, we don't know. And, And so... Listen again and really get a sense for what's going on, okay? In verse 3, it says, So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. There's panic in this, okay? There's urgency in this. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. See, he's already shown he's looking at this differently than they are. They're like, hey, we need action right now. And he says, we need God glorified. So we're going to wait. And, and it says that he's glorified through it. And he says now, and, and he has to say this in verse 5. John reminds us, says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in that place. You see, everybody but Jesus who's involved in this episode is now confused. Everybody. Instead of rushing to help, which is what we will always do, right? We need it right now. Not only do we live in an age of convenience, we're just impatient people by our nature. We think things need to happen now. And so instead of rushing for help, Jesus waits for two days. You see, human nature is to look at our current problem as the most important issue we face, right? Now, I know as we get older, sometimes we start to figure out, like, okay, yeah, this may be a problem, but no, the the earth is going to, in fact, keep spinning. The sun is going to come up tomorrow, and we kind of learn not to give it all of our emotional energy. But, you, you know, increase the pressure of those problems, and we'll start to revert. We, we will start. And this is a life or death situation. Okay, this isn't... This is a moment, remember, in in, in this day, they didn't have antibiotics. They didn't have modern medicine that, that, you know, hey, these infections, they could start and it can be dicey and it can be iffy very quickly of whether or not you're going to survive. And 
there would come a point they'd start to recognize like, "Uh uh-oh, this has gotten bad. And it's now so bad that they send to Jesus and they're like, you better get here because he's going to die. Except Jesus didn't look at it like they did. His bigger concern, even than Lazarus' life, was doing the work of the Father, was glorifying God in a way that would lead other people to believe. Now, we would look at that and say, well, obviously, if he goes and heals them, people are going to see the miracle and and they're going to believe. Except by this point, the healing miracle had actually probably begun to become routine for people around Jesus. Isn't that hard to imagine? And yet it happens. We see it in the Old Testament when the children of Israel are walking through the desert and their clothes don't fall apart and food just appears every day out of thin air. You would think they would be like, wow, this is really cool. God is with us. But what do they do? They start complaining. This food is nasty. God, I don't like it. You see, we can start to become jaded to even the good things of God because we don't consider the source and we don't think about what is really happening in it. Because we become so focused on the problem of the moment, on the immediacy, that we forget the bigger picture. And so Jesus was looking beyond the immediate problem to the best possible outcome, even if it meant a more difficult present. Think of that. Even if it meant a more difficult present. And in fact, in the moment, Jesus waiting two more days could have seemed very calloused, couldn't it? Hey, I'm just, you need to come right now. Uh, Just wait. And in fact, it's such a stunning moment that John has to remind us that Jesus loved these people. See, we're not reading it correctly if we're not questioning Jesus right here. The fact that John has to say, now Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He's reminding us because this feels like he's just kind of blowing them off. He's going to die. He'll be okay. And then he says, this doesn't lead to death. It leads to the glory of God that you may believe. You see, there's a much bigger picture that is always happening. And when God won't respond to the the timing or, or the way we want him to, it's not always that maybe we're doing something wrong or that we want the wrong thing. It's just sometimes God may be doing something we can't even understand. And do you have room for that in your faith? That God could be working at a level that you would never even think of. And does he have permission to use you in that, even if it means some suffering on your part for the benefit of others? You see, I don't see anywhere in here that Lazarus signed up for, yes, I want to get deathly ill and die. For the glory of God. We don't read that. He just gets sick. And in fact, if there's anybody that's kind of just an extra person in this, as funny as it sounds, it's Lazarus. His faith doesn't move Jesus. He didn't do any. He just got sick. And this whole thing surrounds him. But he's like the central character in what's going to happen. And yet he didn't ask for any of it. He, He didn't do anything to deserve it or one way or the other. He just is. 
Now, I want to ask, what if that were you? Would you be wondering, as you're lying there on the bed, dying of an illness, wondering why isn't Jesus showing up? I've watched him heal countless people by this point. I've seen the miracles. And we sent word, and he's just waiting. Would you feel a little let down? I I would. I'm not even going to try to hide that. You see, God's lack of response to a crisis in the time frame that we want will tempt us to question God's love for us. It always will. That's just human nature. Why won't he answer? Why won't he do something? You know what? He is doing something, and it's probably something so much bigger than what we could imagine that even if he told us, we'd be like, eh, that doesn't make sense. Or if it was Lazarus, he's like, no, Lazarus, you're going to die. He's like, what? He's not going to like that either. So many times God's just going to do what he's going to do, and it's up to us to trust him. And the reason we want to interpret it as, you know, question God's love is because we interpret events, life, and outcomes according to our own understanding. And God's understanding of things is always different than ours. It's always different. And so Jesus addresses this. Because they're confused. Everybody's wondering why he's not leaving. Why are you waiting two more days? And so in verse 7, he says, Then after he said this, said, Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you, and you're going this. So they think he's staying away because people wanted to kill him. The disciples have a whole different understanding of the situation. That's also wrong. And Jesus said, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, He does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What he's telling them right here is that when you trust God, you may not understand all of it, but your faith will hold through the trial. You won't stumble. The idea of stumbling in scripture is that when you you kind of give up, when, when your faith fails and you're no longer walking with God. And he says, if you have the light within you, if you're willing to trust God, even in these these difficult moments, you won't stumble. You'll make it through. Your faith will be enough to get through it. He says, but if you walk in the night, if you walk according to your own understanding, if you walk according to your own feelings on it, you're going to stumble. You're going to stumble You're you're going to question God. You're going to wonder why it's happening. You're going to say, why me, God? It's just we're going to get wrapped up in ourselves in this. It's going to happen. And so Jesus is, is in a sense, warning and explaining at the same time right here that, look, I know you don't understand what's going on, and I'm not even going to tell you what's going on. But if if you have the light, you won't stumble. You see, God's timing and actions will always work to bring about the greatest glory and the greatest good possible, which is something we can't possibly see or understand in a given moment. We have to have room in our minds, in our hearts, in our faith for God to be working at a level that is so far beyond us that we just have to say, you know what, I trust that God knows what he's doing, even when it hurts. Even when I'm Lazarus, I can trust that, you know what, even if I die, yet will I live. 
it'll be okay. And so God will allow, mark this down, God will allow circumstances and events to unfold in a way that will push us to make a choice. He will allow that. So when people are like, oh, God won't give you more than you can handle. Oh, he'll absolutely give you more than you can handle. That's the point. He gave Lazarus more than he could handle right here. He gave Mary and Martha more than they could handle right here. They're all confused. Everybody's wondering what's going on. And he just said, if you have the light, you won't stumble. When you get more than you can handle in life, he's saying, if I'm with you and you trust me, you'll get through it, but only through him. Now, that's also a misquote of Scripture when he says God won't give you more than you can handle. That is not Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. That's a big difference. You know what that is? That's taking away every excuse we have for sin, saying, oh, no, you didn't have to. You chose to. But two totally different things. God will overwhelm us in life at times. He'll allow us to be overwhelmed. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's because he wants us to love him more. And he's going to push us to a point of a decision. Do we trust ourselves and our own understanding? Or do we walk by faith and not by sight? And there are moments in life God will force that decision upon us. You know why? Because there are times we don't know that we are relying on our own understanding. And he has to show us. How does he do that except for get us to a point where our own understanding fails? We won't ever know it till we get to that point that we reach the end of it. And in his love, he will do it. Now, walking by faith will lead to the greater good and the greater glory for God every single time. And so, finally, Jesus just explains it to him. He says, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now, don't you love, he's telling them exactly what's going to happen, and they still don't get it. You see, this is what it's like. When we don't understand, God can plainly tell us the truth, and we'll still be confused. And that's okay. You know why? Because God acting and moving and doing amazing things is not contingent on us understanding it ahead of time. And that should be a big amen, because like, He's not waiting for us to figure it out, to be like, okay, once you finally figure this out, then I can do something in your life. He's saying, no, just, just go with me, stay with me, and it'll make sense in time. And then we'll look back and we'll be like, oh, God was talking to me the whole time. Oh, wow. I'm sorry, God. Yeah, I kind of questioned you, and then now I look back and I realize you were there the whole time. And he will do this over and over in our lives. And so the disciples don't get it. And they say the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Healing Lazarus would not have been a good thing at this moment. Isn't that hard to believe? That's, that's hard to hear. Because we're like, oh, oh, it's healing. Heal the sick. Heal this. Look, he says it's good for them. Lazarus is like, hey, it would have been good for me. 
But he says, for the disciples' sake, he says, it's good that I wasn't there. See, this is how off we can be in things sometimes and why if we get stuck in a prayer life that, that is one direction, is one dimension, we just this, 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 and it's all we pray for and God never moves, we're off somewhere. We're asking for the wrong things. And, and in our mind, we can look at it and say, but this is a good thing to ask for. Yeah, maybe it's not the best thing right now. Maybe it's not the thing that's going to actually turn out the way you think it is if it, if, it, if it works. And so he says, it's good that I wasn't there. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins head to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him too. They just figured they're going there to get killed because the Jews wanted to kill him. So they still don't understand what's happening. So I want to talk about now quickly what I'm going to call rejection and the realities of faith. Because there, I've spoken to a lot of people in my life that, are, that have said, you know, I've prayed to God and he didn't answer. And they take that rejection as like final. And well, I tried God and he, he let me down. And they refuse to kind of engage again. They refuse to, to move forward in faith or, or even try because, hey, God wouldn't jump through my hoop is what that really amounts to. But most of the time when a person's in that situation, they don't understand that. They don't understand that they're asking God to jump through a hoop. They really are. As far as they can tell, this is a sincere thing. Like They're like, no, this is what I need. And they're not looking at it through eyes of faith. They're just looking at the immediate need. They're looking at the pain that's right now, and they want it to stop. And so listen to this. In verse 17, it says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the human body, but on day number four, bad things start happening after a person dies, especially with no embalming or anything. Okay? That's when decay starts. And so that's why they were quick to get them in a tomb, get it sealed, get it closed, because on day four, it's going to get rank. And so that's the point when they really, in, in kind of that, that time, Jewish people believed that that's when it was sure that that person's dead. So they would wait those three days or whatever. You could go, you treat the body, make sure they don't, you know, like wake up. But they know on day four, they're starting to rot, so they're dead. Nobody's coming back from that. And says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now, Bethany, you've got to get a picture for this. Bethany was the wealthy suburb, okay, of Jerusalem. So Lazarus and Mary and Martha were wealthy individuals. They were a wealthy family. They're living in a place that's wealthy, so that means they had a lot of friends, they had a lot of influences. They had a lot of contacts. And so people are showing up in droves now because Lazarus has died. And so they had come to console them concerning their brother. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, do you think this was calmly stated as a matter of fact, what is this? She's angry. She's hurt. She's confused. She has trusted and believed in Jesus. She has, has listened 
and, and served him, and, and Mary sat at his feet, and she was serving, and she got corrected by Jesus and said, hey, you know what, I'm, Mary's got the good thing. It's not going to be taken from her. And, I mean, she has been there with Jesus through a lot by this point. She has a history. And now in this moment when they needed him the most, he didn't show up. This is as respectfully as she can giving him a piece of her mind. She's mad. Because Martha knows that Jesus could have saved her brother. She has no doubt. You see, the faith is even there. The real faith is even there. This isn't, hey, I think you could do something. She knows. She's seen the healings. And so she's like, why didn't you come? And this is the first reality faith. Things will often take turns that we don't understand. Faith is not a storybook where everything fits nicely and is tied up in a bow at the end and it all looks great. Faith is messy. Faith is hard. Faith is personal. And in faith, we can oftentimes put our hope in something that really is the wrong thing. And even though it's a good thing, it's not the best thing. And then when that gets disappointed, when it doesn't work out, we've put our hope in the wrong place. And now that hope has been disappointed and we want to attach it all to God. And Martha shows up out there and she's probably got tears in her eyes and she doesn't understand. She's hurt. Now, is she rejecting Jesus in this moment? No, not at all. Okay, not at all. But she is hurt and she, she doesn't know what to do with this. And so things will often take turns that we don't understand and we are forced to decide whether or not we still trust God even in our disappointment. Martha does this very thing. Even though she's hurting and she's disappointed and she's confused, listen to what she says next. She says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. This is a beautiful picture of faith. This is humanity. This is human faith. She's hurt. You could have saved him. She's mad, and yet she still pulls it back. And it's like, but even now, I still trust you. You know what this is? This is a woman who is walking with the light inside her. What Jesus was just saying. She is walking in faith. The second reality of faith. And this is, this is hard. That God is looking beyond our current crisis. And sometimes our current crisis is, is a crisis. Okay, let's not make light of that. I mean, Lazarus is dead. Martha and Mary are going to have a hard time. Their lives are upended now. In that culture, even though they're wealthy, that wealth is probably going to dwindle quickly. And they may find themselves, you know, these widows and, and such that, have no rights and no protection, and their life could go bad very, very quickly. They have every reason to be afraid, to to be hurt, to fear right now, and yet they are choosing faith. Yes, God cares about what is happening right now, but he cares more about where it is going and the impact on your faith and his glory and his kingdom. And sometimes for him to act in the moment would do more harm to our faith long term than it would if he were to act, than than to wait. 
And this is a hard reality for us to, to stomach sometimes because, you know, we, we like to process if a person loves us, you know, are they there? And when God feels distant in a, in a moment of tragedy, in a crisis, and he doesn't seem to answer and we're crying out to him, it's hard. But we have to make that decision. Martha makes that decision. She says, even though I, it, you could almost see her like breathe. I mean, it's, you could have healed him if you'd have been here. And I, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. You know, it's, it's that fight between the intellect and the emotions and the spirit and, and all of it at once. And everybody will be there at some time. If you're a younger Christian and you have not experienced that, it's coming. Okay, fill the storehouse now with all the good things of God because it's coming. Your faith will be shaken at some point in life. Now, shaken doesn't mean that you've stumbled. It just means you're questioning a whole lot. You're wondering why God isn't moving. And all, there are lots of questions and you're not getting answers, but we can all do like Martha. And so... Many times, giving us exactly what we want in the moment will hinder our faith development and lessen the glory that God will receive later. So listen to how Jesus responds to her. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now, reading the story, we know where this is going. Martha had no such idea. So what does Martha say? Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You know what this is? She is she, her faith is comforting her. She's like, I know. So it's like when a person dies now, they say, we'll see him again in heaven. And she, we're like, I know. And while that does provide, you know, a, a, a level of comfort and hope of our trust in God is, is sure, when somebody loses someone close to them, they can only hear that so many times before they're like, please stop. Just, just stop. I don't. Yes, I know. And, and that's what she's giving the Sunday school answer right now, right? She's giving the Sunday school answer for, yes, I know he will rise again. The generic recitation of a spiritual truth that assures everyone that you believe the right thing and that your faith is still intact. And her faith was still intact. This isn't wrong but it also shows that she isn't exactly tracking with what Jesus is saying either. See, her faith is intact, but she's not working at the level that Jesus is. She's not even thinking that way. And God will do the same thing to us. Sometimes we, we're, we know the truth, and he's like, oh, but you're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking, in the, and we're interpreting it through what we know and not what he's saying, and we just have to be surprised because, again, God's not waiting for us to figure it out to do anything. And so it isn't wrong, but she's not tracking with Jesus. Jesus knows this and drops a life-changing truth bomb right into the discussion. And I love this because she gives the Sunday school answer. And Jesus is like, well, we've got to fix this right now. He says, I know... He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I, uh, that, 
Nobody's ever said that after the Sunday school answer for her. See, things just changed. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Talk about being put on the spot. And I love, you know what she does? She goes back to the basic truth. And we can all do, when crisis hits, it is the basic truths of God that will get us through. And and she goes right back. She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You know what she's saying? I got nothing else. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. She's convinced of this. She knows it to be true in her spirit, in her being, but she has no idea what it means. What, what else is ha- going to happen? She has no idea. So she's like, I will, I will default to that which I know to be true. And you know what? It's enough. It is enough. See, she doesn't have to have this discourse with him of like, oh, yeah, you are the resurrection. And I, she's like, I, I don't even know what that means right now. But her faith is enough in this situation that Jesus doesn't feel the need to correct it, to talk about it, to go any further, it's enough. You know why? Because this was so much bigger than Lazarus or his family. As tragic as this moment was to Mary and Martha, the death of Lazarus served a purpose, which was to witness to the power of Jesus over death itself. You see, they've seen healing. They've seen exorcisms. They haven't seen this yet. Raising somebody from the dead who's been in the tomb for four days, that's something that can't be denied at all. And so without Lazarus being dead four days, people might not have believed that he raised a man from the dead. You see, we are servants of a much larger plan than we can imagine. God is working at a level that is so far beyond us that it really is our job to just show up and be like, I'm here And God drops some truth bomb into our life and everything goes to chaos. And we're like, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God. I'm just going to stay in my lane and I'm going to trust you and I'm going to submit to you and I'm going to trust what you are doing because I don't understand it right now. We are servants of a much larger plan. And then the third reality of faith is that faith takes an emotional toll. It's easy to read this story and forget what's kind of happening. These two sisters just lost their brother. An important influential figure in the community has died. People, you know, he had lots of friends. He was close to Jesus and his disciples and this family. And there's, there's chaos everywhere. And, and we've all been there. When, when something like this happens, it's just like the chaos just seems to want to just swallow you whole and... and you, you want to just get away from it, but you can't because this is your world right now. And that's what's happening. You see, it starts again. It says, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now he gets to start over with Mary. The exact same thing. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, 
why is he troubled? There, look, we could talk forever on the dynamics of what's going on right now. Okay, there was something in that day called professional mourners too that would show up so to make sure people were crying enough and mourning. So there's probably a sideshow going on. People are fake crying and crying out to God. There are people really crying. Mary and Martha have no hope in this moment. I mean, they're, they're, they're clinging to what little bit of faith they have. And Jesus just looks at all of this chaos. And it says his spirit, he's moved in his spirit. He feels pity and compassion. And he's greatly troubled at all of it. It's just, it's a bad situation. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now, again, we could get into all kinds of reasons as to why, and we don't have time, nor is that even the goal today, as to why Jesus is crying right here. But here's the point. He took the time to do it. He knows what he's about to do. He knows he's about to raise him from the dead. So it's not because his friend is completely is dead. I, he knows what he's about to do. So he's not crying over Lazarus. What's he crying about? Everything. This is just an overwhelming moment with all of the emotion that's going on and the faith that's required and, and him doing what the Father says. And I, Faith takes a toll. And sometimes we forget that. Like even Jesus took a moment in this to cry, to weep. To express the emotion. Now, did he allow it to deter him from his mission? No. Did he allow it as an excuse to lash out at everybody? No. He was emotional. And he let those emotions be. He let them be expressed. But he did not let them control him or take him away from the purposes of God. And that's where we've got to learn to be. There are people that, that fall on opposite ends of the spectrum here in faith that both are unhealthy. There, there's the group that says that faith is stoicism and that somehow we should never be moved and we should have no emotion and we should always be strong in God. And I know some of you are in here that God just make me strong, make me a rock. I, I cannot feel like this. I just need to do what's right. And they're, they're almost angry about their faith all the time. And then there's the other side that it's always, God, move me, move me, move me. I need to feel you. I need to feel you. I need to feel you. God, move me again. Play that song for the 900th time, please. And we're just, uh, you know, constantly looking for that emotional high and, and always needing to be on the mountaintop. And you know what? Both sides are wrong. God has made us emotional beings. But emotions aren't God. So they're there. We can't deny them, nor can we live in them as though they express ultimate reality. Our emotions will lie to us and they will lead us astray. But what do we see Jesus do? He just takes the time to like, this is overwhelming. There's so much going on right here that he takes the time to cry. The catharsis that's necessary here from it. He weeps and then he continues on. And we know he doesn't cry because Lazarus died. Because verse 36 says, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. Their interpretation is because he's dead. Anytime in John when it's talking about the Jews doing something like that, it's because they're getting it wrong. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? You know, the, 
the less emotional people, the more logic-driven, are like, but couldn't he have done something? I don't get this. You see, like I said, everybody is confused. Everybody. So Jesus takes time to weep. He still experiences their grief and their hopelessness, and he's overwhelmed by it, but it doesn't move him from his purpose, and that is that the best thing is about to happen. Not just a good thing, the best thing. That's what Jesus always does. And what we've got to learn in our life is to expect the best, not the easiest. What would have been the easiest thing? Leave earlier, get here before he dies, and heal him. Then we avoid the circus. Then we avoid the grave. We, we avoid a whole lot, don't we? Except for the incredible glory of God that's about to be shown. We also avoid the blessing. Now, when I say expect the best, I don't mean personal, profitable, ease, comfort. God's best often requires what? A cross. God's best requires self-denial. God's best requires carrying a cross. God's best requires sacrifice. And that's what God is always going to be working towards. That's what God is always moving us towards, is what's best. And so, verse 38, it says, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead, the, the practical one, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. You know what that is? Really? You're going to open now? Okay. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? See, again, he's pushing them to the point of decision. Make a choice. Do you trust me or not? So they took the stone away. What's the choice? They trust him. This is faith. So they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So what is the entire point of this entire episode? It's not to raise Lazarus. It's not to comfort Mary and Martha. It's not even to get the disciples to understand. What is it? It's to get the people that hear this prayer to believe in him. Wait a minute. These people are not even named in the story. Jesus prays and says, I want everybody that's hearing this prayer to believe that you sent me. And Lazarus' role was that he had to die so that he could be raised again. Does God have permission to use you in whatever role he deems necessary to bring others to Christ? See, it's easy for us to like, oh, yeah, I want to bring people to Christ, yeah? What if you're suffering and God rejecting and not listening to your pleas for mercy because you're, the way you're suffering is actually witnessing to other people? And, God's, and you're like, God, I need this to end. He goes, well, it will, but not yet because the work isn't done. 
See, what if it's about people you don't even know? That he is reaching through you and you have no idea. And yet we feel like we're rejected by God. And we're like, what's going on here? And we feel like Mary and Martha, you could have done something. This is, and it makes no sense to us until the day it does. And then we look back and we're like, oh. Now, you know what? A whole lot of that I really believe is going to happen when we get to heaven. And we're going to be like, oh. <laughs> so you didn't know what you were doing. Okay. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around me that they believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with the cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, in the end, the raising of Lazarus wasn't about the good thing. It was about the best thing. And the best thing took time. The best thing took a death. The best thing took confusion. It took hurt. It took all of that to get there. But Jesus knew what he was doing. And he will do the same for us. Your life in Christ, I promise, is about the long term. God does care and he is here and the moment does matter, but not at the expense of the future because God's future is perfect. And he is moving everything where he wants it to be. So you have heaven, you have the Holy Spirit, you have God's word, you have God's people, and you have a mission. And that mission will require many short-term rejections by Jesus so that the long-term can be accomplished. We'll get distracted from the mission. God will bring everything that happened into the moment and make it work and work together for the good of those who love him. And so today, talking about God taking the long game, from the beginning of creation, God already had his eye on the cross. He already knew what it was going to take, what was going to happen, and he promised a savior going all the way back to Genesis. And he continued to promise a Savior. And, and all of the pain and heartache and everything that happened along the way never, ever once distracted God from getting to the cross, from bringing Jesus into the world. And so the cross is the center point of our faith. It's where everything flows from. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we remember that together by taking the Lord's Supper together by remembering the price that was paid for us, that the cost of our salvation was the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so together, we take of the bread. And together, we drink of the cup. Father God, we thank you we thank you that you have given your son to us. That his death on the cross, the giving of his body, his body that was broken for us, the blood that was given, the blood of the new covenant. God, we thank you that you have done what you have done to save us. 
And God, we pray now as we walk in this journey of faith, a life of true consequence and purpose and meaning, God, that we would not allow short-term rejections to distract us from the long-term mission. God, that we would walk in the light, that we would not stumble, that though we are confused at times, God, we will still trust you in the end and be willing to follow, to listen, to submit to you. Father, I pray for every person in here, and I pray as we leave this place today, God, that you continue to work in our hearts and minds. Speak to us, draw near to us, and God, use us to share your love and your grace with those around us. Use us, God, as a lighthouse, as a people who represent you in our world. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.